0: Progressive rugby league.
1: Greetings et salutations. John Duncan here, and you've caught me in a day where I'm feeling pretty, 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 pretty good. Why? Well, the club we've followed closely and have shamelessly championed over the past few years, Toulouse Olympique, have won their way to the Super League for 2022. And that's on top of the fantastic feats of the Catalan Dragons. A bludger of a year sees some light, thanks to our French friends. So for those new to the pod, a very short history of the show's relationship with Toulouse Olympique. We started this pod as a very NRL-centric show, but with hopes to learn more about the international game in general, and French Rugby League in particular, along the way. It was a slow process to begin with, but the wheels started turning. We began following the fortunes of Toulouse-Olympique, along with the Catalan Dragons and Toronto Wolfpack, through our weekly French-Canadian Rugby League update segment. But it was when we read The Forbidden Game by Mike Rylance that the passion really slipped into gear, and we'll actually get to Mike in a sec. Through circumstance, we found ourselves in Europe in the northern summer of 2019. And before we left for that trip, we sent a random email asking if we could visit a Toulouse Olympic training session. Thank you, Laurent. We expected zero response, but we did get a response and a warm welcome. We watched them train, chatted to players and staff, nibbled on a post-training meal, and even found ourselves the next day at the farm of coach Sylvain Houlet. Since that trip, we've kept in touch. We chatted to Sylvain last year about the best French 13 of his lifetime and we caught up with CEO Cedric Garcia to check in with how they were coping with COVID and spoke to star players Mark Corella and Jono Ford about their transition to a French rugby league life. And now, here we are, after a 2021 where uncertainty was the only certainty, Toulouse Olympique are locked and loaded for Super League in 2022. So, what to feel, how to reflect and what's in store? I don't know, but I'm sure our guests will have an inkling. Later on, we'll chat to the aforementioned Mike Rylance, the doyenne of French rugby league history, to put this moment into a bit of historical context for us. But first, let's get some reaction direct from the Toulouse Olympic camp. Cedric Garcia has been CEO at Toulouse Olympic for well over a decade, steering the administrative ship and building a formidable club and network of local business connections. And while we like to say it's all about the journey, let's face it, in this case, the destination is pretty sweet, Super League 2022. Cedric has been kind enough to take our call to give us a taste of all the feels, as well as an idea of what's in store on the road ahead, Cedric Garcia, welcome back to the Progressive Rugby League Podcast and Felicitation.
0: Thank you very much, General. Thanks for, for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for taking the time, Cedric. I know it's a super busy week for you. Now, this reality that you've made for yourselves, Toulouse peak has been years in the making. And now, Cedric, you're a Super League CEO. How is that feeling? Well,
0: it's huge. It's huge. As you said, we've been working on this for, for years and it's been a long road, long, tough road with many hurdles on, on the way, but we, we kept going, going, going. I think we were really stubborn on this one, very determined. And also we took each, each difficulty as, as a learning curve mm-hmm. in a positive way. And in the end, we, we made it. We made it and we're so thrilled about that. And personally, I'm really proud about my club, about our players, about our coaching staff, my administration, about my board, about my sponsors, about the fans. And on Sunday evening, everything was raised really perfect. Yeah. Uh, almost 10,000 in the ground. The players had a fantastic game, live on TV in France, live on TV in UK. So yeah, no, it was a, really a perfect finish to our championship era.
1: Yeah. And how are you feeling through the game itself? It's stressful as a spectator, but I can't imagine how it must feel when you've invested so much. Oh,
0: uh, in the last month or so, I didn't sleep too much <laughs> because we knew we, had, we were doing a fantastic season, unbeaten, extra, but it could all be wasted if we didn't win the last two games. Mm. This and plus all the, the work we put in the organization of those games. We didn't play your own game for 500 and so days. Mm. And to organize those big games in Stadern as Valor, well, which is used mm. and advertising it, so, so there's a big crowd. All those things, to tell you the truth, I didn't I didn't sleep much. <laughs> and uh, I think in my life, uh, I've never been stressed like that. And, uh, and at, at the, the final whistle, I didn't really realize Need a bit of time to realise
1: what, what was happening. Yeah, well, it was one of those games, wasn't it? Toulouse went out to a 16-0 lead and then in the second half there was just a hint that Featherstone were coming back and I was getting nervous so I was, I was trying to imagine what you guys were feeling but it all worked out in the end. Cedric, it must be a nice feeling that you've achieved this with a, a core group of staff and players who have been there for quite a while. I remember John Ford telling me on this pod last year, that you picked him up from the airport all those years ago, maybe 10 years ago, when he joined the club. So that must be that must be a nice feeling.
0: Oh, yeah. It's really part of our values. And the way we wanted to build the club, Jono, you know, as you said, it's his 10th season. Bastien Adel was his 10th season. Sid has been head coach for eight years now. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's really how we saw the future of our club. And we sure hope that it will be what will make us last in Super League Mm. this continuity and have some players who who went through all the steps of our project French Elite 1 Comp then League 1 then Championship and now Super League they've improved with the club and they've made this project their own and Mm. it's also fantastic for them and you're speaking about John Ford I mean he had some opportunities to live and and to play already in Super League and Mm from some other club, but he really wants it's a fantastic achievement for him and full credit to him for uh, for sticking with us and, and bringing us to where he wanted to bring us mm.
1: yeah absolutely now Cedric fans will remember that Toulouse Olympique were a chance of promotion for the 2021 season as Super League put out a tender of sorts to replace the Wolfpack. Of course, that didn't go your way. But how satisfying is it to have earned the right through your performances on the field? You're the third French team into Super League after PSG and, of course, Catalan, but the first to earn promotion on the field.
0: Yeah, well, once again, it was one of the hurdles I was speaking about. We we fought out our our application was really, really good. We worked out on this one. But once the result came, we, we just took it uh, uh, as a positive thing that by doing this application, we saw that we were ready on many different levels to make mm. the step up. And we said it would be even more beautiful and rewarding if we earn it on the field. Mm. And it's what we did. And as you said, yeah, we did the first fan club to promotion to Super League. And that's, that's history. Mm. So, yeah, no. The reward is there. And, uh, and once again it feels like a huge achievement
1: for us. Absolutely. Now, Cedric, the last time Toulouse were in the championship playoffs was 2019 with 2020 abandoned. Now, Toulouse were eliminated by Featherstone at your home ground on that occasion. What were the lessons from that experience and what changes did the club decide to make to avoid history repeating itself?
0: Well, first of all, that year, I would speak more about Toronto, Mm. who in fact showed us the way we felt we were ready to make the step up that year, and we went too far because we were the only team to, to beat Toronto in that year. Mm. But I mean, we could beat them on one game, mm. but on a full season, they fully deserve their promotion. And why? Because they are already a Super League team, and it's what we, we learned from, from them. Mm. The game of against FEV, I mean, We came back from Toronto on on Monday evening with a six-hour jet lag. The players were dead. I remember my on the first day, he told me he hadn't slept yet at night. Mm. So I think this game wasn't really representative of our level. Even if they've won it fair and
1: square. Mm. So it sounds like, Cedric, that the lesson from Toronto was to prepare yourself like you're a Super League team while you're still in the championship to ensure that you've got the best chance to get promoted. Is that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. The lesson was that you need Super League and NRL players who have won trophies in those comp to mm. be able to get promoted. Mm. And it's what we need in our recruitment. Uh, the likes of Mitch Garbert, Remy Casti, mm. Tony Chico, Dom Perus, Joseph paulo
2: All those players have won titles mm.
0: and they've got cool heads
3: under pressure, you know? And all our players around them
0: Feel reassured by them, mm-hmm. and yes, that was the main uh, lesson we learned from, from 2019. And once again, when we played, I remember when we played Toronto, we we're speaking about, for instance, our center, uh, Mathieu Gusson, mm. who had a fantastic year to this, this season, and he was coming out of our academy in 2019, mm. only 19. 19-year-old, and he was facing Ricky Lutele, who was the centre-best state in the World world <laughs> of Rugby League. And I remember this playoff game in Toronto where Matthew was pretty much smashed by Ricky Lutele, <laughs> But, I mean, it wasn't his fault. He needed to learn. He needed to... Mm. So, you see, it, it shows that even yeah. that year, which was a bit difficult, we, we took it as a, as a lesson and a learning curve.
1: Yeah, and two years later, he was man of the match in the... Uh... Million pound game, a great story. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: And he had a tremendous season. I was so glad that he got the man of the match mm. because often on TV it's often Marquera, John Ford who yeah. gets uh, the rewards. But to have Matthew because of this season and his game yeah. uh, on the grand was, was amazing because he fully deserved it. And he's a, he's kind of a character, but but we love him here. And I tell you, his season has been amazing,
1: amazing. <laughs> Now, Cedric, tell us about the last few weeks. You kind of touched on it before. We haven't been, You haven't been sleeping much. But you hadn't played at your home, starred Ernest Vallon, since March 2020. And then all of a sudden, you have two home games in two weeks, two of the biggest games in the club's long and proud history. How did things build in the city and the region through those two or three weeks?
0: Well, I want to thank my administrative team. They've been awesome, you know, because, yes, yeah, it was a huge challenge in terms of organization as you said it's, it's a stadium we're not really used to run it mm. it's a big stadium and we've been working extra to make sure that everything was put on the day uh, in terms of advertising we pushed every door we invested money too, to make sure that it looked good on TV and, and that we had some good crowds and we also worked on the fun experience with some brass bands music mm. uh, entertainment inside the stadium and To have 16,000 people turning up over two games, I mean, in in the second division, it's fantastic. Mm. And I think at the grand final, with with almost 10,000 and and the atmosphere that was there, often people tend to say that in Toulouse, the crowd is not really uh, vocal. And there, it was the atmosphere the players told me after the game, Uh, wow, we. It, it, it was good so the results really we forget with the result everything every hour every, every difficulty we had to, yeah. to overcome and yeah we're just happy with that and, and happy to show also France
1: England and maybe the world that we can be a, a strong rugby league place mm. yeah well, it came across very well on television that's for sure the crowd looked fantastic and the, the atmosphere really came through so watching from Australia at 4am uh, on Monday morning uh, yeah, uh, really came across very well. Now, how has the achievement been received in Toulouse and beyond? Has this news made the sports pages of mainstream media outlets of the region and, and further afield?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with the timing that the Catalans did to grand final mm. in Manchester and us and the following there, even if, unfortunately, the Catalans didn't win. Mm. But, I mean, the season was also truly top quality. Mm. And those two combining made us... Some big media's following us, mm. like L'Equipe, which is the, 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 the main yeah. sport newspaper in France, national one. The French national TV's too. And yeah, we had a coverage that I think we never got. And once again, to have the, the game semi-final and final of both teams live on UK TV and French TV. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, it was really, really good. And I hope it's only the start. Yeah, we first coming while well, reaching Super League. We'll be able to, to market a, a derby between them and us. We'll work out to, to try to find a, a regular TV, coverage, TV broadcast mm. in France. And with hopefully the vision of uh, the World Cup in France 2025, mm. I think it can be really a turning point in, in French rugby league. We need to, to use those fantastic opportunities to change dimension of rugby league in France. Mm.
1: Yeah I mean you could say it's almost a once in a lifetime opportunity where the stars have aligned so perfectly with the World Cup coming up with Catalan being at the top of the table for most of the year in Super League with Toulouse getting promoted as well so yeah fingers crossed. Now Cedric you you mentioned the television situation in France what is the situation with Super League rights and I know your finals games were broadcast by uh, Rodolphe Pires and Louis Bonnery on, on BN, which is great. Is there anything in place for 2022? Is that something you have to work on as a club individually? Or will you work with Catalan or the Super League to make sure you're on TV and, and get a good deal? How does that work?
0: Well, it's a bit borrow all you said. We started since the election of the new French Federation president, chairman, mm-hmm. uh, Luc Lacoste, at the beginning of this year. We started to work with him and the Catalans on a, on a strategy, mm-hmm. on a strategy looking all the way to 2025. Mm-hmm. On strategy for for TV, of course. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we need of course to work also with Super League because the rights belong to, to Super League Europe Limited. Mm-hmm. So we plan like to in the next couple of weeks to to have a meeting and to see really how to to move forward. We know that being sports on the back of of those four games. Of maybe a renewed interest in the Super League, mm-hmm. especially with first coming in. I've heard, I don't know if it's if it's just a rumor or, or if it's something true that Canal Plus, which is the other main TV broadcast, a bit like Sky Sports, mm. would, be, would have a bit of interest. So I think things are moving. I think the fact that the fourth largest city in France is coming, is, is joining Super League, will definitely help. Mm-hmm. Now there's all to do. So we walk as we used to do and we try to walk as friendship. should believe together mm-hmm. because I believe, I personally believe that it's the only way for us to, to strike a, a deal and to interest TV.
1: Yeah, that oh, sounds like a, a very sensible plan. So looking back on this project of achieving promotion over the past uh, several years, how significant has the development of the relationship with Stard to been? Yeah. And and how did that relationship originate? How did it start? Well, I, I start by, by by the start to write.
0: So we secured the funding to rebuild our traditional ground. Which mm. is start uh, the minimum, and uh, the project started. So the demolition started, but five neighbors had the construction permit cancelled. Right. Which was obviously a huge blow, but in France, something which unfortunately happens. Mm. Uh, very frequently, and just that the Stade de Minim is in the middle of the city, and it's something that in France is not really common. And so, people were worried that there would be some, uh, even if the ground was there since 1937, mm. uh, people were worried that there could be some additional uh, disturbances. So, mm. once this happened, we had like two options. First option, we stick with the original plan and we, we go again. And we don't know for how long it's going to last, maybe four or five years without any insurance that it would reach its end. Or which totally changed and made a U-turn. And it's what we did. There was like the will of the city council to maybe have like a partnership with Toulousain and the Okay. And the two chairmen met and there was like the understanding that it could be a win-win right. agreement. And it started from there and we had some talks. And, of course, some investments were made in Stade Les Esvalon, well, the stadium of, of Stade Toulouse. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the, the deal is really a win-win. And it's a 10-year deal for now. I believe that we started and we can really build a really strong partnership on different levels. Mm. Of course, this is the financial side, with, which, once again, as I said, it can be a win-win and Stade Toulouse knows it. But there's also there's more than this. You know, it's not just a deal. It's really, as I said, a partnership, and we can see that there's some links at every level. Mm. Between the two chairmen first, between the two administrations then, uh, we worked on marketing together. They pushed our game and, and helped us to, to market our game. And on the sports side, too. prior to COVID, there were some, uh, some training sessions together between the, the two professional teams. Mm. At the beginning of this year, there was training, a uh, common training between the two academies, And for our players, you see, for instance, Hugo Mola, a Status and coach, he was there at at our last training session at Anne's Ballon. He watched everything, he's very interested. We came to the game, we had like a a small camp before the players, before the grand final, and we brought the players to the Status and game on the Saturday. And there was again some promotion for us. And after the game, Status and players. Without asking them, just did a small video. and released it on the, on the social networks and, and in French and in English, saying that they were supporting us. Yeah. And on a Sunday, most of them were, were there at the ground. So, yeah, no, there, there's something strong which we are building. Obviously, statuizing is massive. I think it's one of the biggest clubs in europe if not in the world mm. and of course we have a lot to learn from them and to grow with, with alongside them and, and i think it, it's something quite new at least in france this uh, partnership and really thrilled to be here yeah very thrilled.
1: yeah well i guess it's a good example of what you're saying before like seeing the silver lining in any setback. so the setback with your with your stadium there and then obviously talking to the council who suggested uh, getting together with your rugby cousins so it all worked out well so it's a good good example of positive thinking and now cedric one more question so the promotion to super league is amazing news but i imagine your mind quickly moved to thinking about the preparations for the season ahead because there's not much time what additional work do you have to do before the start of the super league season to be ready that you wouldn't have to do for a normal championship season we've talked about the tv before but what else is involved
0: uh, first of all it, as I said before it's all about continuity mm-hmm. we, we're not going to change everything we're not going to change everything and I would say like if in two weeks time apart from the players eh, we, we need some rest but if in two weeks time we need to organize a Super League game in lose or go to, to play a Super League game in, in England I mean we could do it mm. we did it in Championship yeah of course it's a one well new dimension but I mean in terms of process we're not too far off mm-hmm. however of course that being said, we need to improve everywhere, in every level. And we are planned of course, in our business plan and financial plan. Mm. We need to recruit. We need to recruit players. Uh, we believe we need four or five players to bring in four or five players. We need to recruit coaching staff, working on that. We need to, to recruit backroom staff too. So, yeah, we need to, to staff up on, on this one. There's, um, as you said, all the commercial side, TV, but also sponsors literally walk, walk out on this. And after, uh, once the feature list is released, that's what we were doing in championship. Also, we need to tackle the logistics issues mm. with all the travels uh, associated with these cross-channel games.
1: Mm. Jeez, uh, that's a lot of work to do. I'm exhausted just thinking about it, but I'm sure you're, you're on top of it, Cedric. So, Cédric, it's an amazing time for the club and it's a just reward for years of hard work and financial and emotional investment. So, thanks so much for taking the time to talk during what I know is a very busy week for you. So, congratulations once again from all of us down here. So, felicites et bon chance. Merci beaucoup, A bientôt. <laughs> Progressive Rugby League. Thanks, Cédric. Now, before we get to Mike Rylance, I thought it might be a good time to share a couple of short snippets from Toulouse-related interviews we've done over the past couple of years. The first is from a 2020 chat I had with Toulouse stalwarts Mark Corella and Jono Ford, while the second is from a chat Big Al and I had with coach Sylvain Hules back in 2019 at his farm in Rubigos. I think in the context of Toulouse's promotion, it's a good insight into, A, how Mark and Jono viewed the project of trying to gain promotion for a club and city that has become their home, and B Sylvan's attitude to developing Toulouse's style of play. So first, Mark and Jono, and then Sylvan. Mark, we've been watching from afar for the last few years on your quest to play in the Super League, and year by year, you are getting closer and closer. What would it mean to you and the club? Everything. Mm. It'll just be everything. This has been a project for four years, five years.
3: Mm.
1: We've worked hard, you know. Like it's just every year we seem to it, nudge a little bit closer, and then. At the end, just seem to fall a little bit short. Yeah, so like I was talking about before about putting in the work. We want to see the result, hmm. you know. Especially like John and I have been here for so long now. I think in order to achieve that goal will be something we'll look back on in 20, 30 years time, and just and just be really, really proud of. Yeah, John, what about you, mate? It is a big
4: it's a big deal for, for the club and for, for me personally it's mm. sort of something you know I've invested my time and energy in. We could have left numerous times to do other things like everyone could have like a lot of people in the club could have left but we've all sort of stuck it out so now it's sort of something that it drives me but it, it doesn't control me yeah because've it's been a bit of a process What four or five years like killer was saying but it doesn't drive me to what driving me is that we have failed but mm-hmm. we've grown mm-hmm. so
2: we've got better each year we've improved it's made
4: me grow as a bloke as a dad as a father as a mate and as a person so yeah it is a big deal but it's it's everything that goes along with it because there's a lot of failures that are coming through it. Probably, I think if we jumped and made it first year, everyone would have been like, "Wow, how good's that?" You know, looking back, we wouldn't have been prepared. Mm. We wouldn't have been prepared, and we you know, we may have slid straight out, and then that would have been it. So, yes. I'm enjoying the process of where we're at, how we're going, and I want to
3: see it through. So, it's the growth yeah. for myself and for the club that I'm really enjoying. Progressive Rugby League. Yeah, the French style. I mean, it come from a little bit deeper than that. It's yeah. like so I, I was a player had to lose, and uh, before that, so when I was playing, we had a style where I wasn't like as a player. I didn't understand what we were doing. I didn't know what we were doing. It was all about completion. It was all about keeping the ball, and we were like as a player inside, and like that. Oh my god, it was <laughs> and boring us. Uh, and we were like we were not happy. Yeah. So when I took over I just want to make sure I like, our, our guys were happy You know mm-hmm. To play fully And they were on that field And enjoying it And it's just like then You know Have conversation with them And what make them happy You know mm-hmm. and, and, and of course Obviously I knew As a player too What was making me happy But mm-hmm. it wasn't maybe The same for them But she was just like Having fun And scoring great tries You mm-hmm. know So we went on to that Like Our first philosophy was I want our team to, from first tackle to five, fifth tackle, from zero meter to 100 meters, be able to score tries. Yeah. That was our, our philosophy. So you see something, you recognize something, you go, you go, and you go full on, and you you recognize it. And so from then we have to work hard on our skills. Mm-hmm. You know, and we went there like the first couple of years, and, and we still are, but we just like catch and pass. You mm-hmm. know, like the way we catch the ball. I went to Warrington just to study pass. Mm-hmm. You know, like I went asked Tony Smith to if I could come there, like just to I, I, whenever Tony was the coach over there, I really liked the way when they were passing the mm-hmm. ball. So I just asked I knew the, the assistant coach there I say, can I come for mm-hmm. one week and I went then uh, yeah, really. they teach me class yeah. you know and I came back and the, I think if you ask the boys, are like we just like cool you're using that tumble pass <laughs> like every minute you know and I, well, I just we went there like for two months practice practice pass you know improve our skills because they are important to the lab and after that what we're looking, you know, like, what what we going to look into the defence to create an opportunity and try them and go full on and be 100% happy with that. Progressive Rugby League.
1: Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we also wanted to put this exciting moment for French Rugby League into a bit of context. This whole weekend, really, has been one of the better moments for French Rugby League after decades of challenges and perseverance. Catalan Dragons and Toulouse-Olympique flying high. Sure, the Dragons didn't quite get over the line, but a monumental effort nonetheless. So how did Toulouse get to this point and what might this purple patch of a weekend mean for the game in France? Well, who better to ask than Mike Rylance? Mike has long reported on the French game for League Express and 4020 magazines and has also written about the incredible, eventful and sometimes tragic history of French Rugby League through two books, the seminal The Forbidden Game, which chronicles the story of the birth of French Rugby League and its banning during World War II, and the brilliant follow-up The Struggle and the Daring, which covers the rest of the story from World War II to the present day. Said it before and I'll say it again, surely two of the most important books on rugby league ever written. Mike Rylance, welcome back to the Progressive Rugby League podcast.
4: Thank you very much. Nice to be back.
1: Fantastic to have you. Thanks so much for coming back on. I'm going to have to give you some kind of discount card or something as some kind of reward for your ongoing generosity. Now, Mike, a big couple of weeks for French Rugby League. How have you felt during this time with French Rugby League really at front of mind for rugby league lovers around the world with Catalan and Toulouse vying for top honours in their respective divisions in the most high pressure of circumstances. As someone who was focused on the French game over a long period, how has that felt after years really where French Rugby League has essentially been off-Broadway for most fans?
4: I don't think we've had a weekend like this for French Rugby League. Not one that I can think of anyway. The fact that we have one team competing for the highest honour and coming very close to it within Super League, the other about to join them, so that we have two French teams in Super League for the first time, well... We've never seen that before. There hasn't been this context before in Mm. the history of the French game because, of course, French teams always played amongst themselves. British teams always played amongst themselves. The Mm. two have never come together before in this way. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how two French teams, as of next season, fare against the best of British. It's going to be difficult to lose, there's no doubt about it. But it's a a first. Mm. Obviously, it's a first. Uh, We look forward...
1: To it with with great impatience. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mike, you've spent so much of the last few decades ensconced in French rugby league, teasing out its history, documenting it for the rest of us. Really, you've been the definition of a student of the French game. And yet, behind that, I know there's a great love and passion for the game too. It's not just an academic pursuit. Now, I heard Steve McNamara speak on the BBC before the Super League Grand Final, and he talked about. This recent period where Catalan and Toulouse have really come into focus has really been kind of like affirmation for long-time followers of the French game. And he spoke of how this moment was just reward for those that kept the fire burning through the lean decades where it seemed like things were only going one way, and that was backwards. And Mike, you've been there the whole way really over the last few decades, never cheerleading but bearing witness, shining a light, diligently recording, and through your books providing such a service to we rugby league fans, and particularly those that want to see a successful French rugby league. So these last few weeks, topped off by a brave performance by Catalans in the Super League Grand Final and the brilliant achievement of Toulouse-Olympique, must really warm your heart. I guess I want to ask, have you allowed yourself to get swept up in this moment?
4: (laughs) Well, it's certainly been a long time coming. And uh, yeah, I've been very grateful that this has all come together now, because you're dead right. We have seen some lean times over the past few decades, I, I guess. And, you know, you spoke about my own role in this, but I mean, I, I took the attitude that somebody needed to keep the spotlight focused on French Rugby League on the other side of the channel. And it was mainly for that reason that, you know, I continued to do so, as well as enjoying immensely being at matches in France and enjoying the atmosphere mm. and the, the, the very fact that you know, the, the French share with the same enthusiasm the love of, of rugby league, mm. uh, there's, there's absolutely no denying that. And for me, it was a way of helping to keep that alive.
1: Mm. Now, Mike, the obvious question, I guess, in terms of the big moments of French rugby league over the past few decades and I guess in history, how does this last weekend rate? And just what is the potential incremental value of having Toulouse Olympique in the Super League?
4: The only event that I can compare it with in relatively recent times is when Paris Saint-Germain came into the Super League, the Mm -hmm. first French team to join a British competition. There was a lot of fanfare there, Mm. attracted a lot of media attention, particularly since it was in Paris. Also, when the Catalans joined, but that was perhaps on a slightly lower scale because it was centred in Pepignon, not many people in France knew a great deal about Pepignon or indeed about Tres Catalan, the forerunner of the Catalan Dragons. Mm. But I think these two teams, as I said before, being together in the same competition and therefore playing each other twice Mm. should should ensure that the media spotlight is directed towards French Rugby League again, Mm. as it was before this weekend, the weekend we've just gone through. Because there was reporting in French newspapers that where well, you wouldn't expect to see any mention whatsoever of, mm. of Rugby League in L'Equipe they had a couple of pages the French Sports Daily that is mm-hmm. Midi Olympique the, the rugby newspaper normally has half a page devoted to Rugby League this week it had about six or seven wow. and not to mention radio and TV and all the various online services so mm. yeah it, it really has been quite massive and pleasing to see of course
1: yeah, and I guess there's so many levels to the benefit of Toulouse-Olympique in the Super League. Obviously, that there's the two teams factor, as you said, so two derbies that you can really build into something special. And hopefully that can drive television interest. And then you have the city itself. Toulouse is a, a big city of, of big industry, home of the French aerospace industry, I think. Uh, the potential is there. What we really need is, A, for this promotion to stick. That's the most important thing in the short term and B, for some wise administrators to to use these perfect conditions, potentially once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to make some headway for the game in France and for the Super League competition in general. And I haven't even touched on how this can potentially dovetail into a benefit for the French national team and and for the Rugby League World Cup, which is being held in France in 2025. So, so much there. So, Mike, I guess a, a question is, can we be bullish about what the future might hold for French Rugby League? After all, it seems like on and off the field, things are starting to finally fall into place. Or does history teach us to to be cautious about our optimism? I think very much the latter, actually. I'd like to be super optimistic
4: mm-hmm. about the future. But you're right, history has taught us uh, not to be too optimistic. And Particularly, you touched on this point, Toulouse need to make sure that promotion sticks mm. because if plans we hear about for Super League within a season or two switching to two divisions of ten mm. then everything is going to be back up in the air mm. and it's something that I would very much regret to see but if, they, if the leading clubs have their way then we're going to see Super League cut to ten teams and a second division in effect of another ten teams mm. so we're back to first and second division and that would not help whatsoever because mm. Lose and the Catalans would be very likely in, in different divisions, and therefore the opportunity for them
1: to meet on the field would be lost. Mm. So that would be a very sad development. In the meantime, Toulouse
4: have to strengthen their squad. I don't think there's much doubt about that mm-hmm. in order to be competitive at Super League level, even though they are likely to show loyalty to the players who got them there. Mm. So it's going, be, it's going to be a very, very testing time. At the same time, I've got to say, I do feel sorry for Featherstone. Mm. I mean, Featherstone have worked and worked and worked. It's a rock-solid rugby league community. Mm. And you think, where is rugby league actually going? Is it going away from its roots? Is it going towards big money, big cities? Well, of course it is. That's that's the way of things. Mm. But you can't help feeling a little bit sad that Featherstone and clubs like that are not
1: going to be in on the party. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean, Mike. It is a, a tension there between respecting the traditional heartlands and looking for new horizons. It is a, a tension there. And I guess in Australia, we have, I guess, uh, traditional teams like the North Sydney Bears and Newtown Jets who have gone into the, the second division. That There's still a place for them, but they're no longer at the table at the top. So it seems yeah. like... That could be a path, but then again, those traditional heartland teams in the UK have quite a pull, so they might get their way in the end, but uh, I guess it's one of those things that we'll have to wait and see. But Mike, you were mentioning off-air that you actually watched the game at the Featherstone home ground because you weren't able to get to to France this year, so you you do know first-hand experience of how how strong and rusted on that rugby league community is.
4: That's absolutely right. I mean, if circumstances had allowed, obviously I would have been in France for the game, but that wasn't possible so I thought the next best thing will be to be a a neutral post office road which is virtually impossible Mm -hmm. uh, and (laughs) listen to the fans chanting their support for their team but what I should add to the previous point about Featherstone and Heartland teams possibly falling a little bit by the wayside the same thing happens in France where you've got the elite one competition starting this coming weekend Mm -hmm. with those famous teams from the past like Carcassonne and Lesignon and Villeneuve and so on, who are falling into the same kind of category mm. in that all the media attention is now focused on the top two teams, not on the others below And do we find a future for that competition as well? That's what the federation has to work out mm. in the next year or two.
1: Yeah, that is a uh, key, isn't it? Yeah, the future of the Elite One. It's, it's had a, a good year and you wouldn't want to see that fall by the wayside after such a good no. period. Now, yeah. people in Australia and New Zealand in particular might think of Toulouse-Lympique being part of Super League as something that has come from a bit of you know, left field. But that's not true, is it? You know, Getting into Super League has long been on the minds and in the plans of toulouse Olympique. Can you give us an overview of Toulouse's previous attempts to enter the English top flight?
4: Yeah, it goes back to 2003 where three teams, Toulouse, the Catalans and Villeneuve, put forward their for Super League and to everybody's surprise it was not Toulouse who was selected on that occasion as Mm. we now know it was the Catalans and so they Toulouse went away and prepared various other plans and portfolios to get into Super League all to no avail the British authorities prevaricated to some extent but then Toulouse rejoined the British competition at second division level in 2009, where they stayed for three years. It wasn't clear what that purpose was, really. Mm. In any case, they finished 10th, 8th and 10th in those three seasons Mm. out of 11 teams. So it wasn't a successful period at all. Then, a couple of years later, there were one or two changes at the top in Toulouse, with notably Sylvain Hulles taking over as coach. And they won back-to-back championships in, in France. And then were accepted into League One, which was the third division. Winning promotion, got into the second tier, and first of all, missed out on the top four. Mm. The following season, they qualified for what was the middle eight, four teams from Super League, four from the second division, a system which has since disappeared. And then 2019, finished second, but lost the preliminary final to Featherstone. No playoffs last year, so Lee were promoted, even though Toulouse were leading the table at the time. Mm. And then it comes to this season where finally Toulouse get into Super League on their own initiative, on their own ability. Mm. And it, it's it's just been such a massive achievement over that period of time, going back to 2003. You know, it's it's a big, big achievement.
1: It is a massive achievement. I, I guess it's important to reiterate that. They are the third French team into Super League after PSG and, of course, Catalan. But they're the first yeah. to earn their way to the top flight through on-field exploits. So that's, that's yeah. quite interesting. And I guess also, I didn't realise, Mike, that you kind of intimated that Toulouse were favourites in 2003 to get the, the green light. But it ended up being Catalan. Is that, Did I read that right?
4: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, everybody thought that the plans that Toulouse had put forward in every respect were... Of the other two clubs, mm. and the reason that the Catalans got the nod was that they thought the the authorities thought that there was more scope for development of the game down there than in Toulouse, right. where it's true that the game tends to be a little bit overshadowed by the big rugby union teams. Toulouse, mm. whose
1: ground, ironically, Toulouse Olympique now mm. share, mm. so that also
4: shows how the relationship between the two rugby's has changed over those
1: years. Yeah, they've made a concerted effort, haven't they? The top brass at Toulouse-Olympique yeah. to really get along and, and sort of build a relationship with Stade Toulousain.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, Mike, I thought it might be also good to give our listeners a bit more of a sense of the history of the Toulouse-Olympique club. Are you able to briefly outline the highlights of the, the club's long and proud history? And, and how would you describe Toulouse's place in the history of French club rugby league?
4: Well, first of all, I, I would say that Toulouse is a little bit behind teams like Carcassonne, Villeneuve and tres Catalan mm. when it, it comes to honours, because those are the three clubs who've won the championship the most number of times. Mm. I think Toulouse won it six times altogether, but that's still a little bit behind the others. they uh, They're not known as one of the great glory teams of French rugby league. Mm. However, they were formed as far back as 1937, not in the very earliest days in 1934, but they were founded by the French Rugby League's founding father, Jean Gallien himself, um, who had business interests in, in Toulouse in 1937. And their history has, has been one of ups and downs. Their best period was probably in the mid 60s and early 70s hmm. when the, they had a, a captain called Georges Ayer who captained the France team in the 68 world cup where they they lost the final to australia with a fullback called pierre Lacaz, who whose nickname was papillon butterfly (laughs) who kind of flitted around at fullback and kicked goals from all over the place it was a charismatic sort of team that they had at the time and and won the championship on one occasion by a record score Mm. so that was probably their their best period but they they won the championship again uh, after that, at various points, 1999 was another occasion when they won it in Paris. And then more recently, as I said before, winning back-to-back championships when they really started to put things together with Silva mm. as, as coach yeah. uh, before joining the English competition. So yeah, it's got a great history and it's also had a few ups and downs. Mm. now let's hope we can see a a certain future lying ahead and i guess
1: in terms of their place in the history of french rugby league well what's just happened over the weekend is a real game changer that kind of shoots them up to the top of the charts almost
4: yeah well let's hope so
1: but i mean the one advantage of not the one advantage but a a big advantage that toulouse has is being able to draw on
4: the economic benefits that a big city provides Mm. and as you said before it's home of the, the French aerospace industry. You've only had to look on their club website to see the connections that the club has been able to make within mm. the Toulouse business community, with various events taking place there. These are all
1: high-profile, potential game-changing connections that they are making. Mm. Now, Mike, it's obviously way too early for predictions, but you know, can we lead with the chin? Do you think they can survive their first season in the top flight? Next season, 2022, Toulouse Olympic. Can they survive?
4: Well, it depends what we mean by survive. We assume that one team will be demoted.
1: But what if it's two? Or what if it's... A restructure. Yeah. What if there is a restructuring?
4: What happens then? That would be a massive shame. Mm. On the field, well, the progress of Toronto doesn't lead us to be particularly optimistic. They didn't win any of their games before the pandemic came mm. along, in spite of a similarly expensively assembled squad, perhaps even more so than mm. Toulouse yeah. have, actually. So, yeah, I don't rule anything out. I mean, I think Toulouse are capable of, of really proving that they are a team that's here to stay, particularly with the astute coaching of Silva uh, Oulès. Of mm. They're going to keep their players as a reward for getting them there in the first place. I don't think there'll be too many changes, but they're bound to bring some in, particularly amongst the boards. Yeah. So I think it's looking good. I'd like to be very optimistic, but as we said, cautiously optimistic, I think (laughs) is the way to go.
1: Yeah, that sounds sensible. And it makes me think when you're talking about the potential restructure for the next TV deal, it probably means that the next 12 months for Toulouse and having two French teams in Super League is, is just so important that you'd think if there's some kind of television deal they can strike over the next 12 months that you know points to growth potential for Super League coffers then that might be a a good thing for considering keeping two French teams in any restructured Super League so there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge but you really get the impression that the next 12 months is is pretty key for for the future.
4: Yeah the TV deal could be interesting actually because the Sky deal as it is well Sky doesn't broadcast to france for one thing yeah um french native broadcasters are notoriously difficult to to deal with and mm. to get to part with their money unless it's soccer mm. so that's going to be interesting in itself but it, if it could be sorted then it would be uh, potentially very very rewarding i think i should also say that mm. let's let's use this as a as a catalyst for the French game in general to develop at the at the lower levels, bring more youngsters in to play the game. I'm sure that mm. that would be one of the main benefits of this whole weekend.
1: Well, let's hope so. Anyway, it can only be a good thing. All this attention on those two clubs—they uh, they do have a a good record of bringing young players through. So uh, this can only help in that department. You'd think.
4: In fact, the two try scorer for lose last night was Mathieu Jusson who mm. came through the French juniors mm-hmm. we're seeing some good young players come through into the Catalan team now after a period, a fairly fallow period actually in terms of homegrown production, right. so let's hope the kids are attracted to the game as a result of these two teams' prowess
1: Yeah, well you're right Jusson was uh, was outstanding, I think he was man of the match in the end and, and he scored a pivotal try in the second half when and that was a satisfying try on a couple of counts because, A, it kind of sealed the match, but it was also a made-in-France try. You know, Remy Casti made a bullocking run, then he passed it yeah. on to Pellissier, who shoveled it on to Jusson for the for the try. So it was um, it was a nice touch.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was. The way he took his first try showed real class, I thought. Yeah, mm. he's definitely one for the future. In the same way that Arthur Mourgue is oh, yeah. in the, in the Atelon scene, He didn't get much of a chance he only came on late Mm. on but you know he he's definitely one to watch as well if france can bring these players through with a few more uh, alongside then we should see better international competition in the future well Mm. We'll see as early as uh, two weeks' time when they play England down in Papier.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think that'll be very interesting. Unfortunately, it looks like there's a couple of injuries to some of the key players to France there, but uh, that happened, so it'll be a, a bit of a test for the depth. Well, there's plenty to keep French rugby league fans interested over the next few years, that is for sure. We're, we're out of time, but Mike Rylance, thanks for sharing your expertise once again on the Progressive Rugby League podcast.
4: And It's my pleasure. Pleased to be here.
3: aggressive
1: rugby league okay there you have it toulouse peaked through the super league catalan dragons flying high the rugby league world cup in france in 2025 elite one kicking off soon too what a time for french rugby league i mentioned at the top our trip to europe looking back it's a good lesson not to assume you know what's going on in a country on the other side of the world because of what you've read here or there before we arrived there i had the impression french rugby league was on its last legs traveling through there though well it reassured me that hey it wasn't going anywhere there was way too much passion for the game to let it just die. And now seeing all the good news coming from France, is just a real heart-warmer. Anyway, enough from me. A pleasure as always to have your company. Thanks to Cedric Garcia and Mike Rylands, and to you, our wonderful listeners. Until we next cross paths at your local rugby league affiliated travel agent, Rugby Comic, and see ya!